and we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. Since 2012, I've been coaching people to join me in achieving their plant-based lifestyle goals of weight loss and improved health. So please post your questions for our guest. You can post comments. You could even say where you're from. Or you could even type in, be strong, be well, and be green. Just test voice. Let's welcome our guest. David Stack has a YouTube channel, Stack's Urban Harvest, with a mission to inspire and educate new gardeners to grow their own food and help them shorten the learning curve using organic methods. Please subscribe and click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, David Stack. Greetings and welcome, David. Hi, Amy. Good to see you again. Yes, for those that didn't see you the first time, you're returning on to the show, and I'm really glad to have you back. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me. So the time that we're doing this live broadcast is a time that people in the southern areas, and David's in southwest Florida, just kind of getting ready to start their gardens. But as David was telling me before we went on air, this information is going to be applicable to many of you, even who live in the North, at the time that you're getting ready to prepare for your garden. So this is really going to be helpful for everyone. So David, what are you doing to prepare for your garden? So right now I have, I've got my seedlings uh, behind me. Uh, so most of the seedlings, I haven't planted the tomatoes yet. So I have three square foot garden beds and those, those beds, uh, you know, one of them is going to have the tomatoes, uh, nightshade family plants, uh, like peppers. And then, and, uh, and then one is going to be mostly leafy greens with some herbs and other, uh, uh, companion plants, uh, like say marigolds and some wildflowers bring some pollinators in. And then the third bed is, is going to be, uh, mostly herbs and, uh, a lot of fennel and dill. I love uh, those two, um, and uh, lots of lots of lots of herbs in probably all the gardens, all the beds. So, um, yeah, that's this is these are my my seedlings that I started uh, a couple months ago, actually. Oh, look at that! So we got some lemon balm, some sage, uh, onions are good as uh i don't know if you can see that okay yes i can see right. that so onions are really good for uh for bulbing up um uh for uh actually they don't bulb up very well here in south florida but they they're really good for companion planting uh kohlrabi last season was the first time i i grew kohlrabi and it grew pretty well um so uh, and then I got Swiss chard over here, a number of things. I'm excited to get the beds. So I, I'm going to start planting uh, the first bed this coming weekend. Wow. So tell us about your little setup there. So uh, these are just grow lights, um, you know, very cheap grow lights that you can get on Amazon. Uh, and then this is a click and grow uh, grow system that uh, you can buy pods of, you know, of like basil and other herbs to, to grow indoors and they'll do pretty well. But then 
uh, once that's done, then I actually fill the pods with mostly perlite and then a layer of vermiculite at the top and use that as a seed starter for, uh, for what I'm going to grow in the fall. Okay. So you said that it was a click. Can you talk about that again? What is yeah, that? Click and grow. It's, I'm not uh, familiar with it. So tell me what click and grow is. It's, it's the brand name of okay. the grow system. Yeah. Now that's yeah, not hydroponic though, right? Cause you said you actually, had to this, this is hydroponic oh, and okay. it's the only hydroponic thing I, I use. <laughs> okay. So do you eventually, you, you keep them in indoors hydroponically all, all season long? Yeah. But you know, this time of year I use it to, to, as I'm starting, it's a, it's a great way to, as a plant starter to start seedlings and unless you buy their pods, it's not really good long-term. So unless you're really good with, if, unless you're going to, you know, add the chemicals to the, the water and do the whole hydroponic thing. And my thing with hydroponics is it's not really organic and I like to go organic uh, whenever possible. So, yeah, that's, I agree with the hydroponic uh, as your, far as your viewpoint goes. I'm not a fan. I think it's great if that's what you have access to and that's what you can use. I think it's great. But I think given the choice, I would prefer not to use it. And I always wonder about all the chemicals, especially if people do it on a big scale where what happens to all those chemicals in, in our environment. So that's why I kind of feel the way you do it. I don't feel like it's organic because I feel like the chemicals are doing something to our environment. It's just a fun thing to experiment with on a small scale, just right. to see what you can do. Right. So now you, do you do this square foot gardening method? Yes. Uh, so I, I've got a few slides I want to share with, uh, on my other screen here. Okay. I grew up in Southern California and, uh, and you know, I just loved gardening growing up there. And then when I moved to Florida, it was, I learned, it, you know, this, we, we have a lot of challenges. The soil is, it's not really soil, it's dead dirt. Dirt is dead to me. And life, um, there's so much life in soil. Uh, so when we, you, this is the place that we, we moved to. This is where we live now. And when we, when we moved here, it, it looked like this. It oh was my. A, lot, a lot of dead dirt. This was the eyesore of the neighborhood. So here's, here's what, okay, here's an, a few more pictures of our house, what a mess it was. Okay. And, that you, was and you, you decided to, to move into this house being a gardener. You were up to this challenge. <laughs> with all this, all this dead dirt. You couldn't walk across what was supposed to be grass there without getting burrs in your socks. Wow. And this is where we live now. I mean, this is the same place, same yard. Uh, of course we put in a pool and, you know, put in some, some landscaping, but it took a truckload of compost uh, to liven up the soil. That's beautiful. So we got some banana trees there, banana plants, excuse me. People, call them trees. So this is the before and after. That is amazing. You can see what the difference microbes in the soil can do. Biology, the right biology. Because healthy soil 
leads to healthy plants, leads to healthy people. And then I started Stack Server and Harvest uh, last year uh, after I was furloughed. Um, and because I wanted to share what, uh, what I learned during my learning curve and help shorten that learning curve for other people and dealing with the challenges. Now here's just a quick little thing about something I'm grafting. So you don't think of eggplant as being a rare fruit, right? Yeah. But how about when it grows on an eight or nine foot tree? I have this grafted to a wild cousin called uh, turkey berry or Solanum torvum. And so it, this is uh, this is about eight feet tall. It's uh, above the, the gutters on, on our house. And it's just starting to produce some some eggplant. So that's amazing. <laughs> so fruit trees, we've we've got a lot of fruit trees. And I highly recommend, you know, I, I'm just so amazed that people, if they have the land, and why are they putting a lot of ornamental trees when they could plant something that feeds them? You know, these are our avocados that are producing for the first time this year. We're excited about that. Uh, and down here, we can grow tropical fruit like star fruit, also known as carambola. And this is this was taken just a couple of weeks ago. I looked out there today, and uh, these are turning yellow and ripening. Wow. And black sapote, this is, uh, it's related to persimmon. Uh, this is also fruiting for the first time for us this year. We're excited about that. Oh, it's also known as chocolate fruit, tr um, chocolate pudding tree, because, well, the, you open it up and it's not ripe until it's mushy. And it's the substance and color of chocolate pudding. And it's not quite as sweet, but add some sugar to it and you're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> I know people who use that as their desserts. Wow. And uh, our newest, our latest arrival here, this is black, um, this is uh, <laughs> butterscotch sapodilla. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had sapodilla fruit. No, I haven't. It is delicious. So del And there's, there's so many of these tropical fruits that most Americans have never heard of. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. This is a, an ice cream banana plant, and uh, it's also called Blue Java. So square foot gardening, this is, uh, we, we got the second edition. There's also the third edition, which I haven't read, but the second edition is what someone handed me uh, when I was struggling and trying to figure out gardening. And I kind of, I was kind of, I don't know, it was just a struggle. What I did, I read this book and I was like, I'm definitely going to have to try this. I highly recommend it. It's, especially if you live in South Florida, this is, this is the way to go. So a big part of square foot gardening is planning what you're going to do. And, and this is, so I box the very top box is, is my first box and then the nightshade box number two and then the third box on the bottom. I rotate this every season. There's a whole thing of plant, plant uh, I'm sorry, crop rotation. So when There's, you say uh, rotate, you mean that you have three beds and you'll take basically the same plan but move it to a different bed. Yes, each season. Right? Okay. So each, so I rotate where the tomatoes are going to go. And, and so next year it'll go in like say bed number three instead of two okay. or, you know, 
move every switch everything around that's a good practice for a number of reasons and then i like i mentioned earlier companion plants so certain herbs are really good companion plants with like say tomatoes and i mean you the cauliflower they have things that they 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 grow well with um cabbage i'm growing cabbage and mint in the same square and because they're the mint will help deter the um you know the pests for the cabbage is that right that's a that's good to know but now i think i heard that mint can really take over a garden so is that that's not a concern for you not really because by the end of the growing season i dig everything out pull everything out and i solarize during the summer and that's a whole nother thing uh, i I have two of my beds still under plastic, solarizing to kill the the plant the uh, the soil parasites, root knot nematodes, which are a big problem down here. I really haven't had a, too much of a problem of the mint taking over. Not much of a problem for me. <laughs> You've been really keeping busy and, and planning things out. You said tomatoes now. If people who are living in the northern areas, then tomatoes is a fairly easy thing for them to grow. I always find it frustrating that if I go into one of those big box stores in the garden centers, if I'm in some place like Southwest Florida, they'll have the same tomato plants that they would sell in the northern place. And people struggle with growing most kinds of tomatoes here. So what do you say about that? What's a big thing about that is you got to know what to plant and when to plant it. Uh, if you, I see people trying to grow tomatoes uh, during the summer and I, you know, I, I did that. I've been there. I, that was one of the mistakes I, I made. And I, I finally realized it's too much work for what I'm getting out of it. Know that during the cool months here, that is the uh, the perfect time to grow tomatoes. And also, if you're still having uh, trouble with it, don't try to grow the, the big tomatoes. You know, they have um, some challenges. Um, and maybe you're maybe you've got a problem with root knot nematodes. You know, if your tom tomato plants are never doing well and they're always susceptible to disease and pests, well, by when you finally pull up that plant and take a look at the roots. Oh, do they have knots on the roots? Those knots are those soil parasites getting into the roots and making your plant unproductive and susceptible to pests and disease. It's always the weak plants that they get the, the diseases and, and uh, the pests. So you want to have strong, healthy soil too. A, a good soil by biodiversity. A healthy soil is not going to have as much of a problem with the soil parasites. So how do you like to prepare your soil? This coming weekend, I'll be adding a lot of compost. I'll be adding about two to four inches. Uh, yeah, about two to four inches of, of compost and uh, worm castings and azomite rock dust is it's a it's a rock dust that's full of minerals trace minerals can you spell do you know how to spell that because i couldn't understand yeah azomite is a z a m i t e okay azomite azomite rock dust okay yeah and then 
early on in the growing seed because that takes a, a long time for them to break down and for the microbes to to make it available to the plant another thing i do is there's there's a mineral spray that comes from the ocean called sea crop and i i buy that for those that are down here in south florida tree amigos growers in davy are great for great resource for this sort of thing they have sea crop and it's it's had most of the the salt extracted from that so there might be you know very trace amounts and that's why you don't want to use too much of it you got to follow the directions so you uh mix it up and i'll i'll do one drench in the soil and then i'll do two two foliar sprays so i'm i'm mixing it into you know one of those spray pump sprayer things and spray it on the the leaves the foliage of the plants so i'll do that not all at once i'll do two applications of that separated by you know maybe a month or so sounds like you've you've kind of over the time you've accumulated some of this knowledge you know i'm doing plant-based lifestyle and i think you are too and I always love how they parallel. We talk about the gut microbiome and how what you eat feeds your gut microbiome. And then that determines how much immunity you have to diseases. And you're talking about feeding the soil because mm -hmm. that's going to also create that microbiome for the plant. Did for you the wanna... soil. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that is... The soil microbiome, and that's I'm glad you brought that up. And as far as uh, plant-based lifestyle, I'm I'm not vegan or vegetarian, but I'm eating much less meat, and I really respect those who have been who have gone vegan or vegetarian. I think you can be much healthier by eating less meat or or no meat. Um, right. I love I love growing my own food too, enriching my uh my diet with that this is some of my green smoothie uh-huh you, and you get that from your garden too when you were talking about rotating crops i was thinking i have longevity spinach and this is a popular plant for newbie gardeners especially in in south florida because it's basically you stick it in the ground and it grows and as it gets longer you can just cut off a piece and stick that in the ground and it'll grow. I have this one bed, one garden bed. It just became <laughs> a whole bed of longevity mm -hmm. spinach. Now it's much more than I can eat. In the beginning, it was great, but now I'm like, oh my goodness, what, what I do I do with all this? So I if I was going to rotate crops, I, don't, I would really have to work on that bed <laughs> and get all that but it does flower which was surprising to me i didn't expect that it was very beautiful well crop rotation is when i say crop rotation i'm referring to annuals okay uh, not not the perennial so that's a perennial that can stay where it's at you know i have longevity spinach growing in a number of places in my garden and so i'll have it and it, it'll be doing well in one spot and then and then it'll it, it'll die back and something else will take over there and so, and then I'll have another spot where it wasn't growing well, and then, and then, and then it decides to take off. So that's why I like to grow it in different places in, in the garden and then just see what happens. And then there's Okinawa spinach. Are you familiar with that? I am, but I don't have any. Okay. I should send you a cutting because oh. <laughs> Okinawa spinach is very closely related to longevity spinach but it's uh, got purple underneath the leaves. 
and I don't think it has the same health properties, but it's, it is known to cut your cholesterol. A lot of foods that we eat from, from the garden do do that also. Yeah. Now that's also perennial. Yes. Okay. It, it has a different growing habit though. It's a little more of a bush than, you know, how longevity spinach is kind of like a, a thick uh, ground cover. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of sending me things, that's basically how we met. I was on Facebook and I really wanted to have a Moringa tree, but I don't have a very large yard. And I saw David posting something about dwarf Moringas. And I said, oh, I think I have to do this. So I got in touch with him and we arranged it that he could send me some little seeds from the pods because it's something that grows so easily. Even I, even though I'm bee green with Amy, I'm not very green in the garden, but I do very well when it's something that just is perennial or something that's easy to grow. It really did very well. I started it off in a pot and I didn't really know how tall it would get. And I'm I'm wondering, I'm going to ask you a question from me. So I have this dwarf moringa that's taller than me now. <laughs> and I didn't do very much to it. So it's just got a very long, high trunk. And then it's almost like a little palm tree the way it looks because everything is just kind of growing on top. And now, even though it's a dwarf moringa, it's too high up for me <laughs> to reach those. Can I hack it and it'll grow and get bushier? I'm afraid to you, do anything. No, they do better with a lot more trimming. So I have some, I have one that I, I chopped it all the way down to the trunk, down to the, as a stump. I mean, it was like a stump this high off the ground and it grew back with a vengeance. <laughs> and it, but in such healthy, vibrant growth, it just sprang back to life. And it's just outside my window here. You can't see it with the camera, but I de definitely recommend keeping Moringa trimmed down to like four or five feet. Okay. And mine just keeps growing, towering over the house. I've got yeah. about three or four of those. Yeah, four of them. Each year, I'm going to chop another one down to the ground and just see it come back. I felt like I had enough Moringa and I needed a little more space. But then when it came back, I was like, you know, I'll just it wants to come back and I'll let it come back because it's a good it's good for another thing called chop and drop. Chop and drop is a permaculture um, term where there's three things that are usually mentioned for chop and drop. There's comfrey, moringa, and uh, tithonia. It's the Mexican sunflower. It means exactly what it sounds like. You chop it and you drop it, and then you let it let mother nature do its thing. It just decays and adds organic matter. Did you know organic matter holds 10 times its weight in in uh, moisture and water, you, you get the microbes going, the good microbe. And uh, so that, that adds a lot to the soil. Think about the forest. What would the forest do? Well, things, branches fall off and leaves are always falling off. And it adds to, it becomes the next soil cycle as it decays. Yeah, so, I uh, think some, Carb Rock said something. I think I just saw a comment it said, Carb Rock said, I like to think of the soil as a plant's digestive tract. That's really interesting that Carb mentioned that because I don't have the graphic. I should have had it ready because I saw this really cool graphic and I'll try to post it on my Green with Amy Facebook page. 
and it shows the digestive tract of a human. And then next to it, it shows the root of a plant. And when you look at it, the root of the plant has all these hair-like things that are sticking out of the root all the way around. And that's how it kind of absorbs the nutrients from that microbiome of the soil. And then when you look at the human digestive tract, it looks like that plant root that's turned inside out. And all those little hair-like things that you see out there, they're inside the digestive tract. And that's where the human digestive system absorbs the nutrients in through th those little villi or what hair-like things that they have. So yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of very similar, isn't it? Yeah, it's fascinating. Nature is just so fascinating. And we need to get back to how nature does things. You know, my YouTube channel, I have Cynthia Schaefer, uh, who has her own series on my on my channel. Between her and I, we present two totally different methods of organic gardening. Now, I will talk about using the very common pest control and disease control things like neem oil and uh, and other other things. But her thing is, what would the forest do? Like I just said, she has a very hands-off approach and just let nature do whatever it needs to do. And I'm kind of leaning towards that a little more as, as the years go by. And, and a good example of that is that eggplant tree that I just showed you. A couple months ago, I saw aphids were taking it over taking over the leaves, I was like, oh, shoot, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I don't want to have to use neem oil because it stresses out the plant. Uh, and it, you definitely want to, don't want to use it during the day. Uh, you want to use it, if you are going to use it, use it as the sun is going down or, or at least in the shade. I, then I saw a ladybug and I thought, you know what, I'm going to hold off before I do anything. There is the method of spraying the, spraying it with the water, spray the bugs off with the water. But I just decided to just give it a day or two and see what the lady... And well, the next day, there were two ladybugs. And then the next day, there were still two ladybugs cleaning it up, cleaning it up. And there were fewer aphids. And then I saw, started seeing ladybugs in different stages. There was a lar larvae and there, was, there were two la ladybugs procreating. And, you know, the, they, nature was doing its thing. And my plant is aphid free and I can any day I can go out there and find a ladybug, at least one. I have something that is attracting ladybugs to my garden and I want to keep them here. Exactly, because I've heard of people who buy ladybugs mm -hmm. and then they release them in their garden and then they all fly away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do that every now and then. I haven't done that for a while. You know, we have the butterfly world where you can, you can buy ladybugs. I always call ahead to make sure they have them in stock if I'm going to get them. But yeah, the, most of them will fly away. And But I've released so many packages of those over the years. I think some have hung around the neighborhood. And I like to think that the ones that are cleaning up my garden right now are descendants from those that I've released. Right. Yeah. I remember we're trying to get a Dr. Ron Weiss. He is actually a medical doctor. He practices in New Jersey. He practices plant-based medicine. He also has a garden. He moved his practice to a multi-acre land in New Jersey, and he's making all these organic foods that he's growing. He talks about how the plants that are grown organically and are not treated so much with this pesticides and herbicides, that they grow stronger because they're fighting off 
the pests and diseases and that the nutrients in these plants, because the plants have had to produce these things inside of them, whether it's scents or whatever they do to defend themselves, it makes them even more nutrient dense for humans to consume than if a conventional produce was grown with all the different chemicals on it. Those produce items don't have to defend themselves about uh, from anything, so they don't right. have those chem- as many phytochemicals inside of them. So yeah. those eggplants are going to be good, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, and also a lot of gardeners they I, I see on South Florida edible gardening and sustainable, you know, garden page that we have. I'm admin on that, and and also Cynthia Schaefer, she's the one that started that. We see people suggesting to other gardeners to use use dish soap no i mean if you have to just go with a very bare minimum because dish soap it will strip the natural defenses of the plant there's a video that i did recently about dealing with powder mildew you can find that on my channel it's one of the the most recent ones so powder mildew one of the one of the things that i i recommend is in a gallon to use only three dot drops of biodegradable dish soap and no more than what you have to because like i said it it just it destroys the plant a healthy plant has a way to defend itself and you're stripping it from that defense by using dish soap. So what do you think about worm tea? I know of some people that say that they like to spray the worm tea onto their plants. I'm not really sure about worm tea, but I I use a compost tea. I have a a picture here of uh, compost tea. I have worm castings in this as well as about three or four cups of compost. You know, that's just a very basic uh, recipe for my compost tea. So if you're gonna do a compost tea you need a five gallon bucket air pump because you've got to keep the microbes those good microbes aerated you don't want it to go anaerobic and then brew time between 24 to 48 hours your basic ingredients like i was saying about three or four cups you don't want to do more than four cups and of compost then kelp worm castings and or bat guano ah that's interesting. <laughs> so then you can use this as a drench for the soil. I'll do both. After 24 hours, I'll I'll do the drench. And then after 48 hours, I'll do the foliar spray. Uh-huh. Right. So you, I call it worm tea, what you were talking okay. about. And that's what Alice is just asking, what is worm tea? So it's basically a brew, right? Right. Of worm castings and the other things that you were mentioning. So when I first discovered the the science of compost tea, I was so fascinated with it. I was telling people, friends and neighbors about it, whether they were interested in gardening or interested in hearing about it or not, because I was so excited about the science of how the microbes, you know, one bacterium of, uh, in the right condition will split off. And ha- I don't remember the, the numbers offhand anymore, but one microbe can become thousands within you know 12 hours or so i wish i still knew those numbers but the whole idea is it just grows exponentially and that's what you're doing you're brewing the these good microbes for for your plant we want a healthy soil 
and healthy soil makes healthy plants. Healthy plants make healthy people. Right. It just makes, closes up that circle. So did you talk about biochar yet? I don't I remember in the beginning you were talking about amending the soil. I, I have used biochar. I was going to try making my own biochar, but I follow Elaine Ingham, uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham. She's a soil biologist and who I highly, highly regard. Uh, and she says that biochar is overrated. She's done tests on it and her soil web organization that she has did some tests on it and it wasn't any substantial difference. There's a lot of hype around it. Part of me still kind of wants to believe that it holds on to the nutrients and it retains those nutrients. Her argument is you've got the microbes doing that. You've got the microbes. They have enzymes that extract the boron from like say the azomite rock dust that I mentioned, they're working on that. They're they're extracting that and then they're going to process that. They're holding on to it and they're processing it. They develop a symbiotic relationship with the root and the roots are providing sugars and proteins and carbs, basically cookies. They're giving cookies. It's mostly sugars. They're giving cookies to these microbes and the microbes are giving boron or magnesium potassium to the, those roots and they're delivering it to another thing that Lang Ingham says is the the plants will send a signal down to the roots that hey I'm deficient in in boron magnanese and those microbes get that signal and they're delivering it oh she it says is so it, amazing yeah she she's, she describes it as calling for delivery of, of pizza hey I need some pizza I need some some protein some carbs now <laughs> And it's amazing. I referred to Dr. Ron Weiss made a presentation. He was talking about how you could have a row of broccoli plants growing and a pest could go over to one of the broccoli plants and start trying to bother that plant. And in the soil, in the roots, that one broccoli plant, it's like a telephone pole. It sends a signal to the next one, which keeps sending signals all the way down the row to all those broccoli plants that there's this pest in the area. And the, the broccoli plants actually change their chemical composition to try to make them taste differently to the pests to repel it. And that was like what I was talking about earlier about how the organic vegetables and fruits are so much healthier for us, not just because they don't have pesticides and herbicides, but because they have more phytonutrients in it and phytochemicals in it because they're trying to repel these pests. But like you were talking, they don't just communicate to the root system. They communicate to the plants that are in the vicinity, which is just, it's just so amazing. Right. It it's it, nature is just baffling so what you just described where the plants there's there's something connecting where there's an underground network and cynthia schaefer talked about this and i think it was her soil building episode and i have an episode that i'm editing right now and i'm, I'm hoping to have that on the channel too where i'm going to get a little i'm going to dig a little deeper on this subject but basically mycorrhizal fungi once it's it's developed underground it can so you you could have plants on on one side of the house that are being attacked like you like you said by aphids and the the plants um over on the other side of the house are getting that signal and they'll build up that protection against the the aphid that's uh something cynthia was saying so that's that's if you have healthy soil around your home yeah that's just so spectacular yeah so you talk about ladybugs do you ever get praying mantis i would love to do that i would love yeah I, you know I, I don't know how long they'll hang out i i'm kind of afraid to you know after i order some that they'll take off too like the ladybugs do yeah 
It is. It is kind of cool. I, yeah. I had to me. They're a little creepy though. <laughs> they're kind of cute, but then they're. But yeah. then I'm like, you're okay out here. Just don't find your way in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those good guys. So, what do you suggest that people do about weeds? Is it just getting there every day and? them before they get big i mean i don't have much of a weed problem in my in my garden because i do a lot of mulching some some heavy mulch i've got another another slide i will heavily mulch and this is around my my star fruit tree and what is uh, it, what is in the mulch i will order my i don't buy store-bought mulch i'll get a whole big truckload so this is in my driveway and this oh. is about four three to four feet tall of, of mulch in my driveway. I can just imagine what your neighbors, well, I guess they know you by now. Maybe the first time you did this, they were like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do wear a mask when I'm, when I'm mulching because of, if you have allergies and you get a mulch pile like this, this, oh, by the way, all this is free. If you develop a relationship with, with a local arborist, they would, when they ship these trees down, so, you know, another, person needs a tree taken down they take it down and they they or even even trimmed they'll chip it up and they don't want to have to take this to the dump and have to pay a fee they would much rather give it to a gardener who could put it to good use and i gladly take it well i don't get this much mulch at one time anymore because i found someone else that has a smaller truck and can <laughs> deliver smaller deliveries at one time what i was saying about the the why i wear a mask and, and the the allergies if you have allergies you really need to wear a mask when you do this even with the mask a mild cough for uh, for a few weeks and i i just got over mine i diffuse essential oils so this is here's my diffuser oh that's really beautiful with uh, tea tree oil and some other oils but you want to be careful about diffusing some of those oils if you have pets right so i don't i don't do that around around our yeah. cats we, we love our cats i would so say those... even if you didn't have allergies i think just because of all the dust that probably comes about when you're handling the mulch i would think that that could just get in your lungs anyway so it'd probably be a good idea for anybody to wear some kind of a mask to keep them protected from the dust right it's it's actually a lot when because it heats up just like a compost pile and when you dig into it you got a poof a big plume of, of uh, methane gas and that methane wow. gas will carry fungal spores that are not it might be good for the environment but it's not good to get into your lungs and yeah a lot of things that are organic i've heard of uh let's say the diatomaceous earth also known as de to get rid of aphids and you know yeah. i use that occasionally but i do not breathe that stuff i've heard of someone dying because they got too much of it in their lungs so mm -hmm. uh and that that's you want to wear a mask when you when you work with that sort of thing so that kind of mulch is okay to put around a tree trunk i thought somebody had said don't put mulch close to the trunk of your trees or your fruit trees or something is that just like the robot mulch no i i'm glad you brought that up because you can i guess you can't really tell in this picture but i do have the mulch pulled away from the trunk you do not want to have the mulch especially when it's fresh pushed up it get and when it's fresh it's like i said it heats up to it could get as hot as 160 degrees and that could damage the trunk even after that the mulch is holding on like i said 
organic matter holds 10 times its weight in, in water. All that moisture up against the trunk could rot the trunk. Wow. So I, I do have the mold pulled away from it, but I can go 12 inches deep with that mold as long as it's not up against a plant or tr or tree trunk. Okay, well that's good and, to know because a lot of people like to, even if they get the decorative mulch, they like to just put it all around yeah. the trees and make it pretty. And then they may have problems with the growth and now maybe that's something that somebody can learn from that. Ben C, what are good sources for seeds? I'm so glad that question is, is, uh, is there because my very first go-to is Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. It is uh, their website is rareseeds.com. And if they don't have whatever you want in stock, my second go-to is Johnny Seeds. And I believe that's just johnnyseeds.com. There's a number of, of good ones. Uh, High Mowing Seeds is, is another good company. I definitely go with uh, non-GMO companies, companies that will actually test their, their seeds. And they, they do their best. That It's not 100% but they they do what they can to to keep their their seed um, genetics pure so I, I, I respect that and those are the companies I want to support and that's what we have to do we vote with our purchases and sometimes even lately a lot of people feel like they don't have any power to make change but that's one way that you can help make change by supporting these businesses that have the heirloom seeds and the organic type of things. Joyce, what are some tips to grow a pineapple from an organic store-bought pineapple top? That's something in Southwest Florida, that's like one of the things people like to do. Yeah. Let me see if I still have a slide up. I actually, I, like I admitted, I don't really have a green thumb, but I was actually successful in doing this. I don't know if I really did it the right way. So maybe David can give it the best okay. tips. With the, the pineapple tops, sure. I'll, I'll uh, cut off the, you know, like you would normally do, cut off the crown. And I like to leave some of the core. Uh, so I'll do like a tapered cut, leave some of that core on there. And then I'll strip off some of those bottom leaves because right where the, the leaves grow out of, those are, the, are where the roots are gonna grow. And I will let that dry out for, um, I've, I've, let, I've got some that have been drying out for weeks <laughs> that I'm gonna use in my garden bed just as placeholders because I wanna, I have, I have garden cats and I don't wanna get my garden cats in my garden bed. And so I'll put tomato cages out there. I'll, it'll be a mess, but I, it's something to kind of help deter the, the cats and the raccoons from getting in there and digging it up. Here I go on a, a rabbit trail. That was, that was really good advice because I know yeah. that like I have a pineapple growing and then I have some rosemary next to it. and I go to snip off some of the rosemary and that scratchy pineapple leaf gets me. And I didn't really think about that for deterring some furry friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, I like I said, I, I love, I love our cats and I have my one that I call her my garden girl and I, to help deter her from getting up there, I built her her own sandbox and she loves her sandbox. So she's got hers. I've got my boxes, <laughs> but back to the pineapple. So I'll let that dry out and, you know, at least for a, a two or three days and you can go for a week and then you can either, I've seen people where they can root it in water and I've never done that. So, but I don't know how many times, how many times in a week you need to change that water. I just stick it in the soil and let it grow the root. I've got a pineapple 
plant that I'm growing right now that I'm I'm growing a lot more of that and less of the, the store-bought one. It's called white pineapple because the leaves, I could like feel the leaves and not get uh, bloody hands because the leaves are not sharp like the, the other one. Well, that's really cool. I've never heard of a white pineapple. That's really nice. Yeah, the great thing, like I said, the the leaves are not going to, the, the very tip of the leaf can be sharp. So That's interesting. Robin, is now a good time to plant garlic? I'm a newbie. Suggestions? Well, yeah, I guess if you're in South Florida, you could. I've, I've heard, I had a discussion recently with someone uh, on our South Florida garden page about this. And she says that she's been growing garlic for two years with no problem. And I don't know what her secret is because I thought it was just too humid. I've, I've tried growing it and it lasted for maybe three months or so just for the greens. And she, she grows it for the greens. And also, even if it's temporary, I guess it's it's a good thing to do because it's another one of the things that wards off pests. It's a good companion plant. And that's the main reason why I grew it when I did. So as far as when, you know, kind of depends on what part of the country you're in. And I would look that up wherever you live. Okay. If you are in South Florida, we're coming up on the cool month. And yes, you, this would be the time to uh, to get ready to plant that. I wouldn't put it out yet. I would wait until the end of September or November. Joe, it will be the first time gardening for me in Southwest Florida, so I'd like to keep it simple. What should I start out with? I would suggest some edible landscape perennials. And my in my YouTube channel, I talk a lot about these plants that I recommend. Joe, you you should get these plants. I mean, get get a moringa tree, get um, get some longevity spinach, Okinawa spinach, sisu spinach, also known as Brazilian spinach. And all these plants that we call spinach down here, they're not related to spinach that you can buy in the store, not related to it at all. I know for me, I have a hibiscus tree. Yes. I did really well with that. And that's another one that's so cool. I mean, I harvest the leaves because I like to cut them up and put them in my salad. And then I just take what's left of that twig that I took the leaves off of and I just stick it in the ground and then it wants right. to grow another tree. So it, I'm a fan of these cut and grow kind of things because me too. I, don't, I can just ignore them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and they it, do well. And Joe, get some katuk. Katuk is great to have. It's uh, so nutritious and it has a nutty taste. I think it takes, tastes like peanuts. So easy to grow once you get it established. And I had no idea that it would get so tall. I have one that my my main katuk plant, has, it, it was getting up to about eight, eight or nine feet tall and I had to trim it back. I had no idea it was going to get so big. Yeah, and that's just another one of those plants that you could just chop it down and it'll just keep growing like a weed but you can eat it i think yeah. that's pretty good because there are some people that with homes associations and they're not allowed to have gardens but they could have these bushes and trees and they just look like ornamental plants and they can eat them that's exactly pretty, your pretty hoa cool. will not bother you with these plants yeah ella how to prep soil for a raised bed I think you, you want to just, she might've come in a little late. So okay, you right. can just so say it quickly. For prepping my bed, I use mostly compost and I'll add worm castings and azomite rock dust, azomite uh, rock dust, the A-Z-A-M-I-T-E. It's full of minerals. Uh, and then I'll do a, a foliar spray um, and a drench of sea crop. It's a mineral substance that, that comes from the ocean. 
they extract most of the the salt from that you just want to follow the directions on that one yeah that's, that's basically it that sounds great and then you know that all these minerals and and wonderful things are going into your plants and they're going to benefit you too after they benefit the plant emily iguanas squirrels and rabbits oh my suggestions <laughs> wow well, I, I feel your pain. So lucky that I haven't really had to deal with iguanas as much. I mean, I, when they show up at our house, they're usually around the pool area. They've not, knock on wood, they've not found my, my garden yet. So, and squirrels, well, I have had a squirrel problem this past year. A squirrel discovered my mango tree. Thankfully, I had enough to, to share. None of our garden cats really, uh, really hang out on that side of the house. I, I got Mo, I picked her up and took her over there and put some catnip over by that tree you know maybe the squirrel won't want to be around where where the cat is just the other day i, I found her hanging out on that side of the, the house so glad to see her over there cats are a good deterrent um, for for iguanas i've heard dogs are, are are a great deterrent and i've heard that the cats too the iguanas are i guess are afraid of them i'm not sure no i as far as keeping them out of the garden i've i've seen people build a, like a cage type of thing pretty elaborate framing and and then chicken wire oh here's here's something that the local here the urban farming institute what they do is it's a community garden right so a lot of the gardeners to keep the iguanas out they put up fencing but a very unstable fence and iguanas don't like that and they will not climb any further and then they were showing me that someone else put up a chain link fence, which is stable, and it didn't help. The iguanas got in there. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. Let's hope they don't evolve past that shaky fence. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about a project that you worked on. It was a movie, and I wanted you to, if you could just tell our listeners and our audience, our viewers about it a little bit. Sure. This is a, here's a slide of, I recently uh, won a, a telly award for for editing this film called don't let the gene out of the bottle you know this this man here jeffrey smith a couple years ago i thought you know what the heck let me send jeffrey smith my portfolio and just see if he if he has some work for me to do this is a time when my job back then was they let us work from home and let us take on other work basically we were cut to 10.99 <laughs> this was some work i got from him i poured my heart into this film and it's only 16 minutes long and you can watch this documentary by going to protectnaturenow.com dr elaine ingham that I mentioned earlier, the soil scientist, soil biologist, she's in this film. And this has a story about something that, that she was closely related with or tied to in 1991. And I'm not going to go into any details, but just to let you know, when I started working on this film, I had to pinch myself every day. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing a film for Jeffrey Smith and it has Elaine Ingham in it. I just had goosebumps and just every day I was working on this film to begin with. I was just like, I'm so grateful to be able to do this. I was like, now Jeffrey, I don't have images. Are there pictures or what do we, what do we have that I, that I can use to tell this story? I, we talked about hiring an animator and animate something. We decided against that. We didn't feel like that was the best way to tell the stories. I shot some things. I like rigged up what it would have looked like and my what it looked like in my mind. So I, I had to make 
pesto out of some plants I have and make lime on the surface of the soil when she, she talks about that. So that was me and I'm mixing, you see my hand mixing up the sludge with the, the potting soil. And then you see my hand turning on. She talks about the farmers put all the residues from after their, their crops, all the rest of it into a barrel and then they inoculate it with this organism and they open up the spigot two weeks later and there comes out alcohol to run their tractors. Well, that's my rain barrel and my hand is opening up the spigot. Oh, the so that I, was I really to, clever. I had to be creative and try to, you know, and yeah. So it, it, it turned out pretty, pretty good. And I, I highly, it, highly recommend. That picture, it reminds me of in the beginning of when your presentation, when you showed the before and after of your house, yeah. you know, <laughs> it yeah. kind of reminds me of that. I guess that's what this movie seems to be about, where we do to our earth and, and how it can affect us one way or the other. So right. it sounds like a really good movie Basically, to watch. something, some, an organism almost got out in nature. They were two weeks away from releasing this, doing a field test. Once you release it, there's no putting it back. Mm -hmm. And now is a really good time with this pandemic. We saw how this one organism, how quickly it spread around the globe. What happened in 1991, if that organism did get out, it would have made this pandemic look like a picnic. There's a lot of things happening and we need to be aware and movies like this help make us aware because one genie didn't get out of the bottle, but there's other genies out there that could. We, we all need to be aware. And I think that by watching broadcasts like this and going on David Stack's YouTube channel. When we watch these kinds of videos, we're, sh we're voting and we're showing the world that these are the things that are important to us. So I really wanted to thank you, David, for coming on the show. And like I said, you do have your YouTube channel and Stack's Urban Harvest. That's all you'd have to type in on YouTube and you could find all your great videos there. And I really want to thank you for coming on and we'll put a link to the other show that you came on as well. It's really important for everybody to know about gardening, even if you just want to grow some herbs in your windowsill, try something. And we all need to get back in touch with the earth and what it can do for us. I'm Be Green with Amy, so I'm all about eating greens and even herbs are greens. So if you can try to grow things like that, I think it will be really beneficial to you. I wanted to thank someone who's been in the background posting questions for us, and that's Rebecca from PKA Sols. And she's been engineering this, and she's been very helpful. Hi, Rebecca. There she is. And I also wanted to thank Jess from Jess Task Voice. She did the countdown, and she also did the promos and the intro. And stay tuned because we're going to have a special announcement. But I really want to thank all of you guys for watching because this is what supports this lifestyle whether you're eating a plant-based lifestyle or you're growing plants or you're doing both. These are the things that we need to share with others. So if you click like, if you share this broadcast with other people, if you go on David's YouTube channel, all these things really help promote this lifestyle of growing our own food or eating healthy food or doing both. Just test voice. Can you please tell us who's coming up next? Nick Daverin and his wife, Evelyn, own and operate Local Spicery. At Local Spicery, they personally mill, blend, package, and sell the spices when they're at their peak of freshness. Learn about how spices can greatly enhance the taste of plant-based food. Join us Wednesday, September 1st, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Be Green with Amy, live. Well, thanks again, everyone. And if you could please join me and David as I say my tagline, you can just type it in in the comments so that you can do it with us. And that's 
be strong, be well, and be green. Are you ready, David? I'm ready. Until we see you again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. green. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.